0: Are you ready to get down to business? Join seasoned entrepreneur, community leader, and Army veteran, Scott Shalom Klein, who will take you behind the scenes with those who work in America's small business scene and speak with leaders making an impact, creating jobs, and telling their story in entrepreneurship. So let's get down to business. On AM560, The Answer, here's your host, Shalom Klein.
1: And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down Business, and I am your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts on my website at sykline.com. While you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at ShalomKline. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in. Thrilled to be joined by Tim Lupinacci, who is a self-professed leadership junkie. Uh, Tim spent the first 28 years of his legal practice focused on helping financial institutions solve complex problems, um, and I could go on and on in that background, but uh, but really he has, uh, he has Quite an interesting background as the CEO and chair at Baker Donaldson, where he leads over 1,300 individuals in 22 offices across the southeastern U.S. Tim is presently leading the firm's five year Baker vision. 2028 20, strategy and its diversity and inclusion compact. A lifelong leadership student, which we're going to talk all about. Tim recently launched a nonprofit called Everybody Leads, focused on empowering individuals in underserved communities with basic leadership skills and confidence to better lead themselves, lead others, and lead in the community. Tim, Tim Lupinacci, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Shalom. It's an honor to be here. It's great to talk to you.
1: Absolutely. Um, appreciate you making time, but that's what you do as a leader. Um, you right. know, you find time for what's important. And I know one of the things that I've heard you speak about on other shows and, and some things that you've written is that equipping everybody, regardless of title, position or role with the confidence and skills to lead more effectively. That's everybody's job. And that's, uh, that's super important. So Tim, I'd like to get to know the person behind the, behind the microphone. I mean, how did you get started and, and, and when did you first get interested in the topic? Of, of leadership,
2: yeah. Uh, thanks, Shalom. It really was a, a, a really—I I like to call it like an epic fail. I was a young lawyer. I had no idea I wanted to be a lawyer growing up. I kind of stumbled into the profession because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was in my first job and not really knowing what I was doing, and it was very transactional to me. I got a project, I did it, I turned it in. But uh, I got—I got involved in a very big project. I turned it into a senior lawyer, who then turned it into our boss. And a few hours later, the boss called us into his office and started yelling at us about how we had royally screwed up all the project, the calculations. It was financial in nature. And there were about a dozen lawyers on the phone from around the country. And he told them that these idiots are going to stay here all night to get this fixed, which is not a good leadership tip about how to treat your colleagues. But that's how that was what I was left with. And I thought I'm going to lose my job. Uh, Well, we got it fixed, and the next day I was driving my boss to court, and it was an awkward silence, and then he he did apologize for yelling in front of other people. But he he said the thing that bothered him most about me was that he saw in me leadership, potential, opportunity, and that I could really step up and be a leader and have a successful career. And it really is the first time I remember somebody speaking into me about being a leader and I didn't have a title. I didn't know really what I was doing. I was young. Um, but I thought, well, if I'm a leader, I've got to learn how to do this. And that really led me on you know, a journey of reading and going to programs, listening to books on tape back when you did that, um, and uh, just try to get better. And you don't need a title to lead. You lead, everybody leads um, in, in whatever situation you're in, and you're influencing others, whether you know it or not. And so that's just really been a passion of mine uh, over the last three decades
1: absolutely no we 're going to dive into all of those topics, and of course, talk about everybody leads, um, but uh, Tim, I mean something you just said resonates, and I know we 've talked about it a lot on this program is sometimes you learn uh, your best leadership uh, sort of moments, if you will, those aha moments is not necessarily from watching you know a TED talk and watching those dynamic, amazing leaders, but sometimes you watch in the in your company, in your organization, um, or maybe in life, and you see those moments and and you learn how you will not follow in those footsteps, how you will not lead like that person. So I'm curious, Tim, have you had some of those moments in your career as well?
2: Well, absolutely, Shalom. even with that boss who ultimately became a pretty significant mentor to me. And I think I I influenced him a little bit and he softened a little bit in his leadership skill. But I I really did learn from him that he was uh, very much a command and control um, uh, leader of get this done, do it do what I say, which there's value in that and certainly in a lot of organizations and military particularly. Um, but I've, I've thought that it's better to kind of bring like a collaborative team approach. Um, certainly, I've got to train. I've got to have high expectations. I've got to have accountability of people I'm working with and myself. Um, but I did learn through watching him and Uh, Some clients refer to him as a bull in the china shop, which sometimes you need that in your counselor. Um, But I tended to be more, uh, I could show that at times, but I wanted to be more trying to figure out how we could solve something together to understand the other person's perspective or the other side and and then come together. So I think you're exactly right, Shalom. I mean, you pick up leadership tips. I pick up leadership tips every day walking uh, the halls of even my office. One of the best leaders in our firm is a receptionist in our Baltimore office and just watching her and how she interacts and how she owns her edge part of the world to help us drive the firm forward is really inspiring to me. And she doesn't have a big lofty title. She's just doing her best to do her best every day for those around her. So I I totally agree with you.
1: Yeah. Powerful stuff. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've shared this many times again on this program is that I have have probably only uh, maybe on one hand, I could count the number of times that I've Uh, had coffee with folks and listeners to this program know I drink a lot of coffee and I meet with a lot of folks all the time um, that I've walked away and, and really honestly haven't Necessarily had a next step from that conversation. Almost always, you can learn something, and uh, that means that that person, that individual, regardless of whether they're a job seeker or they're an employer of a, a major organization, um, and a um, uh, you know a very successful uh, everybody is is leading. Again, I'm chatting with Tim Lupinacci, CEO and chair at Baker Donaldson, also a speaker and now the founder of Everybody Leads, and I want to dive into that, Tim. Um, so Everybody Leads clearly this has been a passion of yours. You've, you've been speaking on it regularly, obviously within your firm, within Baker Donaldson, obviously you've, you've been able to learn from folks, but also lead others, which is fantastic. So tell us a little bit about some of your goals with this fantastic new uh, mission and, and effort.
2: Yeah. So um, we um, our firm partners with, um, we pick an organization or a cause every three years and try to partner with it across our 22 offices. So we've done food banks and uh, the like, but this a couple of years ago, we started working with organizations trying to eradicate homelessness uh, across our footprint, which is a you know, big problem. And as I was meeting with the leaders of these organizations, they're doing incredible work on basic life skills, like getting a bank account open, uh, you know, figuring out some job skills to get a job, trying to help with housing, uh, things like that. Uh, And then when I was talking to him, one of the things that really struck me was that now they've skilled, uh, uh, somebody's got the skill building up so they can go get a job. There's a lot of basic leadership skills that you need, like conflict resolution and teamwork and working with others and showing up. Uh, And so as I was talking and listening to some maybe gaps in in what they were trying to accomplish, I thought about uh, creating this organization that called Everybody Leads to try to bring along basic uh, leadership skill training alongside other nonprofits doing incredible work and uh, and so we've started, we launched it earlier this year, meeting with uh, some examples are individuals who are maybe um, coming back into society uh, from having been in prison or youth who had really had some struggles in their teens and were now trying to get back on track towards a job and a career and giving back in the community uh, and just coming alongside and doing you know, leadership modules and, and speaking into them about being a leader and owning their career and, and showing up. and. And really effective communication and the like. So it's been really rewarding to work with some of these younger um, folks, um, younger individuals, uh, and see their um, passion to want to, you know, regardless of what's happened in their past, they're trying to take steps forward. And just to be a small part of that, just to give them that confidence has been uh, very rewarding.
1: Well, congratulations on that, and uh, you've really already dived into my, my my next and really my final question as we're coming to the conclusion of our time together is, you know, for our listeners, everybody constantly seeking professional development, seeking to become better. I know that's true of all of our listeners, entrepreneurs, uh, successful in, in business and in whatever industry uh, that case may be. Uh, they've heard your, your message. Everybody leads. But how do you, in 60 seconds or less, how yeah. do you improve your leadership skills? What are some of those key characteristics of successful leaders that you've seen, Tim?
2: Yeah, I, I think, first of all, it's, it's, it's really that commitment, which you said, Shalom, and you talk about a lot, is getting better every day. Try to look for opportunities to learn, to be curious. Uh, I, I gained some of my, as you said earlier, some of my best leadership uh, growth comes with just asking questions about how others uh, that I interact with, how they lead and what they see. Um, I think, it, I think it, to me, it's, it is it's about being curious. It's about investing in yourself, whether that's you know reading books, watching uh, YouTube videos about leadership, um, and just really uh, focusing on building that confidence um, in, in better leading yourself, and then that helps you to better lead others. So I think just to be intention- intentional about it uh, and focus on trying to get a little better every day and learn from others.
1: That's powerful. Well, I've taken a lot of notes, and I know our listeners will want to get in touch and learn more um, from, the, uh, from the leader himself on the topic of leadership. Tim Lupinacci, really appreciate you coming on. How can we stay in touch and get a hold of you?
2: Yeah, sure. I'm at uh, Baker Donaldson, which is dot ncom and then I'm also on, uh, we have uh, everybodyleads.org. That's everybodyleads with an S org. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'd love to keep talking with your listeners and uh, get to and learn more from them about it, uh, what, their, what their leadership uh, thoughts are.
1: Well, that's fantastic. We'll definitely link in the show notes as well. And can't wait to continue to follow your important work. Uh, again, Tim Lupinacci, thank you so much for joining us. Again, we'll, we'll, we'll share in the show notes as well. Speaking of show notes, you can always get on my website, sycline.com, And, of course, connect on your favorite podcast app. Uh, my producers tell me that, frankly, when you get on that podcast app and you subscribe, you rate, review, and share, it makes it even easier for, for your colleagues, friends, neighbors to get a hold of this important content. We'll be right back. On the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. I'm really excited for this conversation. I'm joined by the founder of the Due Diligence Project and Virtual Family Office Hub. That's Alex Sunkin. We were just talking offline what a small world it is. But uh, Alex, is, as mentioned, is the founder of the Due Diligence Project, the Virtual Family Office Hub, a revolutionary platform of vetted resources that supports hundreds of leading tax-focused CPA firms and family offices across the country. He's authored a book, believe it or not, called The Due Diligence Project and has been published in Money Matters uh, and so much more. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Great to have be
3: on. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Absolutely. I know uh, you have been involved in many entrepreneurial ventures, certainly also very supportive of many charitable organizations um, living in Southern California with your wife and four children, a graduate of University of Michigan Business School in Ann Arbor. uh, And uh, I could go on and on, but I love to get to know the people behind the microphone. Uh, Alex, how did you get started in tax and finance?
3: Tax and finance. Yeah, I, I got my career started in Chicago as, a, as an options trader um, and I really liked and I was on the floor. So I was a, a member of the Chicago Board of Trade, the Merck and the CBOE. And I liked the idea of riskless arbitrage. What we did as options traders, we would try to buy options you know, on one exchange uh, at, at, at a low price and sell a similar or the same option. At like For instance, we, we did arbitrage between the Chicago Board of Trade, and Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Chicago Board of Options Exchange. So we We're just trying to buy one option at a low price, sell the similar option at a higher price in another exchange and capture that profit. When we look at the tax code, um, we see a lot of slow motion option trading. We see a lot of opportunities where we can actually, you know, two plus two equals six, where we can combine different ideas, put them together. And eliminate uh, and, and create value, and to me, option uh, you know, tax planning is really slow motion options trading. But the difference is, you really need to understand the tax code, and that's that's quite a learning curve to get through. Well, we're going to dive into that,
1: and again, I'm chatting with the uh, the subject matter expert, uh, a very very wise man indeed the uh, the the due diligence project, uh, both the author of that book as well as founder of. Uh, the uh, of 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 this amazing amazing initiative, and we're going to dive into that. But something you know, Alex, as I follow the news, I hear about billionaires that often are paying zero dollars in taxes, while others who are making a lot less money are paying as much as forty five percent of their income in taxes. So maybe it's a dumb question, but why is that, and what does the CPA firm of the future? That's your that's your term, I know that you use a lot. What does that look like?
3: Yeah, That's a great question. You know, we. we, we what we found is first of all it 's out there, you know Zuckerberg and Bezos and all these billionaires you know what we found is one out of five billionaires is really eliminating most of their tax bills. eighteen percent of fortune five hundred companies are able to zero out their tax returns and this is a wow kind of statement but it's it's even more impressive when you look at eighty two percent of fortune five hundred companies don 't know how to do it in fact, when we look at their tax bills and we look at their tax returns, they look really ugly compared to the ones of the 18% that can zero out their tax return. So what is the disconnect? Because these fancy you know, billionaires and Fortune 500 companies, they can hire the very best CPA firms and law firms and tax attorneys in the world, but they're getting very, very different results. So what we found is There's just too many pages in the tax code. No CPA firm understands or knows how many strategies that there are in the tax code, how many pages there are in the tax code. Where do we find the best tax attorneys in the world? Who is vetting out these tax attorneys? How do we identify number one, number two, number three, number four? How do we find the best tax strategies? When when no one seems to know how many pages there are in the tax code, you can't know how many strategies there are in the tax code. So what... How do we solve this? The way our community has has done this is we've been doing this for over 15 years is we build the largest independent peer review community who are basically we're emulating Amazon and Netflix and basically emulating their independent peer review. So we're eating this elephant one bite at a time. Everyone in our community, we have hundreds and hundreds of CPA firms and family offices, and every member has to be a tax focused Uh, you know, CPA or EA or really be a tax attorney with specialties and leadership position in their specialty. So they're introducing their favorite resources, favorite tax reduction resources, favorite strategies into our community. And every single member in our community vets out ranks and rates each strategy. So similar to on Amazon or on Netflix, you know, you're not watching movies that are one out of five stars. You're trying to watch movies that are, you know, nine out of ten stars, or buy books on Amazon that are four point nine out of five stars. Why? Because you've said thousands and thousands of people have already rank and rate those products, those books, those movies. We created that same facility for CPAs because. It's really hard to go into that tax code and find tax strategies where, you know, just just pick up the tax code and start reading it. It is a very complicated legal document. But by having hundreds and hundreds of independent CPAs introducing their favorite resources, introducing them to our entire community and letting each CPA, each tax attorney independently vet out each strategy, ask their questions, get their questions answered, And what we do is we supply all of the FAQs, all of the notes that have been gathered for the last 15 plus years on each strategy to each member in our community, which reduces their time to complete their due diligence, either create confidence in the strategy or say, you know, we're confident we don't like the strategy. We don't want to we don't want audit risk. We don't tax court risk. We're going to throw this out. So this has really become that's really what the due diligence project is. It really is an independent peer review community, except we don't allow normal people to participate in this. We really need people that have at least 10,000, hopefully 50,000 hours of experience in audit and tax court. Who are those people? Those are tax focused CPAs. There's a handful of tax attorneys who are the leaders in their respective areas. And those are the people that contribute to the project. Research every strategy in the project and then get their feedback and get their questions answered on each strategy. And then ultimately, they're going to decide whether they're comfortable bringing these strategies to their clients or not.
1: So helpful. Again, I'm chatting with Alex Sonkin, founder of the Due Diligence Project and Virtual Family Office Hub. Alex, we've talked a lot about, uh, again, uh, you know, taxes. Uh, appreciate your background um, and your expertise in this area. I want to spend the last few minutes of our conversation talking about the family office of the future. Um, but before we do that, I want to understand what common mistakes often happen within family offices.
3: Well, mistakes in family offices, there's so many, Um, you know, part of the issue is a family office is like a cell phone. You know, you can buy a a $10,000 gold-plated cell phone, and unless they're plugged into the most vibrant network in the world, I guess right now that's Verizon, you know, unless you plug it into Verizon, if you plug that cell phone into Bob's cell phone network, it it's only going to go where where that network takes that cell phone to go. So the key to to a, a vibrant family office is the nature of their ability to complete due diligence. And, and it's very hard to do due diligence on investments. There's a lot of moving parts where we're really, really good is doing due diligence on tax strategies by showing a tax strategy to one tax focused CPA or one tax attorney. That's good but by showing that strategy to say five, six, 700 independent CPAs or tax attorneys and getting their independent feedback, we have so many more data points to look at. It reduces the risk of audit. It reduces the risk of tax court. So really our solution is that let's take an elite family office. Let's plug them into the due diligence project, specifically their their tax advisors, plug them into the due diligence project, give them access to all the notes on all the strategies that are out there. And now they have a much wider scope of ideas to bring to that family office and be able to really mitigate their taxes, mitigate their capital gains tax, and do a lot more things, create a lot more value for that family by supercharging their due diligence and access to amazing ideas.
1: And this is so helpful. Well, Alex, I really enjoyed our conversation and I know it's rapid fire and uh, certainly we can't cover absolutely everything in this conversation, but I do want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you, learn more about the due diligence project and the important work that you're doing, um, which I know is continuing. You've got a great book out there, but there's probably going to be more uh, to follow. Alex, how can we get in touch with you and your team?
3: Yeah, we are you can find us at due diligenceproject dot com. Info at due diligenceproject dot com is our email and uh you know, we're right here or VFO dot com is also another virtual family office hub dot com is another website that we uh that that we operate. But um yeah. So any, any, any of your listeners, if you're dealing with highly appreciated asset sales or liquidity events, things like that, you want to introduce your most trusted tax advisor to, to the due diligence project. Let them plug in and access a whole world of uh, world-class tax planning solutions.
1: Fantastic. Alex, uh, Sankib, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Can't wait to have you back on real soon. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, We've got to squeeze in some headlines, commercials, quick break here on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back.
3: Thanks so much.
1: Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I am excited to be joined by Daniel Gagnon, who's an organizational agility advisor who co-founded the Agile Leader Academy, a boutique training, coaching, and consulting firm to help leaders develop progressive team building skills, dynamic and adaptive work environments while avoiding the traps of naive over-optimism or simplistic positivity. That's certainly a topic I know everybody wants to learn more about. Daniel Gagnon,
4: welcome to the program. Oh, thanks for having me. It's gotten really pleased to be here. Absolutely,
1: it's an honor to have you. So I always love to start by getting to know the person behind the microphone. I mean, how do you get into this and and really identify uh, some of these uh, areas of what makes a successful agile leader?
4: Well, it, it basically it was it was a long process. I am a career project manager. Very, I was a very traditional project manager, portfolio manager, program manager in large financial institutions for for many years and. When I first encountered agility, it was sort of like counterintuitive. I was going, what is this way of working? I was, I, there was a team next to me, next to my office in, in that you know that initial large financial institution that seemed to be having too much fun, and they were getting on my nerves. And I'm going, this can't be so serious it. stuff. Uh, but um, I wound up working with, uh, with a team that was doing agile, and it became, um, because they were doing it successfully and they were, there are some very specific criteria to how it can be done successfully, which I've learned over the years. (laughs) Basically they, they turned me around completely and I, I, you know, it was like a light switch going off at one point and I could not go back to, um, to an entirely traditional way of, of doing things. I, I had learned that pragmatism and uh, a context, context-driven approach to how we work within organizations is absolutely paramount, and you can't hold yourself to any specific way of working or dogma. You need to learn what works in your context, and that was the yes. biggest, the biggest thing for me.
1: Indeed. And I, many business leaders are beginning to realize the benefits, both organizationally and financially, of creating an environment where all employees and stakeholders feel invested and validated enough to challenge the status quo. I mean, the theme of this week really is leadership. Uh, I know you and your team have trained thousands of people, held many, many, many events, and you've spoken regularly. But I want to dive into some of these areas so it can be helpful to our listeners and their organizations. So let's talk, I mean, human-centered workplaces. That's something you are the subject matter expert on, how can that culture naturally facilitate employees to push company growth?
4: I insist upon that human-centered aspect because one of the things I have seen uh, too much of is process-centered organizations. And it's particularly endemic to the phenomenon known as digital or agile agile transformations, whereby usually... um, a transformation is imposed, a methodology is selected and it is rolled out in a traditional change management fashion. It's rolled it's rolled out um, usually by consultants um, who are also doing staff augmentation and who are going to be there for a very long time and they're bringing something from the outside and they're bringing these processes in without taking into consideration the human aspect. Now the biggest thing about the human aspect in organizations the pandemic made this abundantly clear but it was all already operative before the pandemic. The key dirty secret about organizations right now is that they're riddled with fear, discomfort and suffering. Uh, it's that simple. And the only way to go beyond that and get to a point where the the human centeredness is is built around empathy and getting everyone to a state of agency. Um, there are no two ways about it. You have to work with the culture, you have to work within the organization. And the biggest lever, and what we understood and uh, you know, through our experience at Agile Leader Academy, what we've seen time and time again, the biggest lever is the leaders themselves. The yeah, absolutely. And the problem there, the leaders have been caught between a rock and a hard place. You know why? It's very simple. The rock is agile itself. The agile community has done an abysmally poor job of taking leaders into account. Some of the methodologies go almost as far as to deny the true need or, you know, pertinence relevance of, of leadership, which simply you can't just wave, wave a magic wand and say, you know, no more For managers, sure. no more leaders, let the revolution ride. Da- Dan- the Daniel, way, I have to I have to I have to yeah, ask sorry ahead. to yep. interrupt, but, but sorry,
1: I have to ask. I mean I'm curious. A lot of companies, especially in the technology space, are you know diving into that agile space, but I know one of the things that you have argued is that this is really industry agnostic. And and so if you don't mind in in just thirty, forty five seconds or so, tell us a little bit about some of the industries you've been working with and how all companies can get in touch with you.
4: Um, you know, some of the latest work I've done has been, um, you know, one very successful engagement with a very large law firm, and getting leadership there to, you know, a, a law firm is basically a constellation of partnerships. It is incredibly adequately suited for an agile way of working by that, uh, just a, a, an openness to innovation and a willingness to hear what everyone on the team has to say. A partner and his or her team are mm-hmm. an Agile team. Uh, another one was manufacturing. Manufacturing a, in a huge um, you know, global um, um, appliance
1: manufacturing Absolutely, company. Absolutely. Well, like I, I know partners, all industries so. and I know all leaders will want to get in touch with you. I know you regularly appear on podcasts and uh, I know we're going to have you back on real soon, but how can we get in touch with you if we want to learn more about the Agile Leader Academy? <laughs>
4: So the, uh, the website is agileleader.academy, and the best way, you know, to get in touch with me personally is my best response is on LinkedIn, so Daniel Gagnon, that's G-A-G-N-O-N. Uh, really have fast response time there.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll link in our show notes, and really, really grateful for you coming on. Uh, We've got to squeeze in a quick break. We'll be right back. So indeed, everybody knows that change is never ending. We've been talking about it throughout the show today. We do this every week on the program. Media continues to tell us that change is hard, but I know our next guest says it is a lie. We are constantly adapting and our role as leaders is to demonstrate how people can take everyday adaptation and apply it to their work to drive higher levels of resilience. And that's what our next guest, Jeff Skipper, who is an international change leadership consultant for organizations in energy, finance, technology, and other uh, Spaces for over 25 years. He's beginning. He, he is begin uh, beginning with a 12 year career at IBM. He's guided change projects by focusing on the people side of change. And he has a new book, Dancing with Disruption: Leading Dramatic Change During Global Transformation. That's what's been going on right now. Jeff Skipper, welcome to the program. Hey, great to be here. So I always love to understand the people and their passion behind the microphone. Jeff, how did you first discover this? This very very fascinating area of, of, uh, regarding change and leadership and frankly, change leadership.
5: Yeah, it's, you know, it is a long story. I'm, I'm one of these folks, um, I think unique that you can see this thread through my entire career, you know, right back to my, my master's work in organizational psychology, I've always been interested in how do you help people perform at their best? And when folks encounter change, it often feels like a barrier to them of, shoot, I've been doing things and it's been going well for so long. And now I got to pivot in some way and I'm not sure I'm going to do that. And and it looks like I'm going to lose influence in the organization. Um, and, and so I, I really set about this work of how do you help people overcome those so they can get back on their feet or even reach new heights very, very quickly.
1: That's uh, that's powerful. Well, that's that's a great background story. So I want to, Dive into this again. I'm chatting with the author of a new book, Dancing with with Disruption, leading dramatic change during global transformation. So, Jeff, you talk about this regularly that uh, that leaders uh, that, that, that leaders sometimes perceive change to be hard.
5: Why do you think that is? Honestly, I think a lot of that is media. Um, uh, so we we see headlines that say change is hard. People don't like change. I've heard leaders say that. And I think it's a reflection of most people are aware, hey, when we see something that that looks challenging, our brain does that fight and flight response. We have those choices and and both of them are are considered negative. But reality is we don't approach all change uh, this way. I was just writing up an exercise uh, for some other change leaders saying, uh, you know, how many of you wanted to get in line to be one of the first for something? We all have examples of that where we want it to be first because we want to embrace change rapidly. So it's really just a perspective. It's easy to say changes are, change is challenging, but every day we have disruptions in our lives, minor, major. We navigate them. We move on. We embrace change all the time.
1: Fantastic. Well, you mention um, frequently in your, in your writings and some shows that I've heard you on that middle managers are particularly critical when aiming for quick transformation. Why, why is that?
5: Reality is that most changes announced from the top or near the top. So an executive gets up, says, this is what we're doing. Here's where we're going. Now, when people leave that meeting or, or finish listening to that and they have questions, where do they go? They typically go to their their leader, their direct supervisor. And if that individual says, yeah, I don't I don't really know what's going on. okay, what just happened to the credibility of this change? What's the likelihood that I'm going to get on board? So it's great to have it announced from the top. That's, in fact, an important element of leading change. Well, but then individuals need to know their direct supervisor is going to support it, is going to reward it. Uh, so that you know, as they consider, am I going to buy? Am I going to do this challenging thing? Am I going to go through the pain that this change might cause? They want they want to know that their manager is behind them because if not, they're going to hesitate.
1: Yeah, you're right that those middle managers are at such a critical. Uh, place within the organization. Um, And so one of the things that, you know, our our frequent reaction to things is we need more training. We should develop a training plan for this. But I know you argue that training isn't enough to help people prepare for change. What, why is that and what is?
5: (laughs) Well, training is typically um, separated from really the work situation. So it's like saying how many people learn to ski by, you know, practicing on a video game. it it just can't get you that far. So we need to ensure that there's a a transition from training into the workspace. And again, managers are a key part of this so that as I'm trying to apply what I've learned, I have someone there that's going to support me, someone then that's going to encourage me when I make mistakes because we're not perfect the first time around. So training sets the stage, But it's when we try to apply it on the job that we really need the greatest amount of support to ensure when we do have that failure or setback, we're not going to stop altogether.
1: Absolutely. I'm chatting with Jeff Skipper, international change leadership consultant and the author of Dancing with Disruption, Leading Dramatic Change During Global Transformation. Um, Jeff, uh, it's interesting. You know, there's a lot of folks that I think truly want to uh, want to grow. Professional development is the theme of this show. But we know that uh, across the many, many hundreds, dozens of organizations that you've worked with, you know, there's no doubt going to be people that just won't buy into change. What do you do with those folks?
5: (laughs) Well... Um, I give them a very short exercise and I say, I want you to think about a particular change that you want to see happen or or that you're, um, you know, you're spearheading and ask yourself on a scale of one to a hundred, what do you think the success of that change is dependent on people? In other words, if you want to see the returns you're looking for, for this change, how much do we need folks to do something different? And I don't care what the number is. They might come back with 70%, 80%, 10%. But the reality is, we can never get through a change without people. There's always a, a role for them in that. We need them to do something. So, with that in mind, we have to pay attention to yeah. the psychology of, of change and how we get people engaged.
1: No doubt about it. I've got a lot more questions for you. And good thing, we're going to continue our conversation in just a minute after a quick break here on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, sykline.com. Follow me on Twitter, at shalomkline. And of course, get on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share. Just search for Get Down to Business. But again, quick break. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back in Get Down to Business. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I'm chatting with the author of a new book, Dancing with Disruption, Leading Dramatic Change During Global Transformation. That's Jeff Skipper. I've already been learning a lot from uh, from Jeff, so we can check that off that uh, he, is, he is changing and he is leading right here on the program. So very, very much appreciate it. We've been chatting about why people perceive change to be hard and how to really get the buy-in from from the the easy people, the hard people along the way. So, Jeff, I'm I'm really curious. Before we dive into some examples, is you know we just went through a pretty dramatic change. We went through obviously a global pandemic, and so what did you see as leaders failing to sort of do 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 right um, to get call it compliance in particular, but just in general? I mean, lessons learned from COVID nineteen and 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 what you saw from companies across the globe.
5: There's a couple things that that really jump out from that whole experience, which let's face it, no one really wants to reflect on. But it's so helpful to take a peek at that. One is overnight, we we all had to do something different. So we woke up in the morning and learned, hey, you got to stand six feet apart. You got to wear a mask. You got to sanitize like your life depends on it, literally. And we did it for the most part. Some people resisted, yes, uh, but most people did it. So, number one, demonstrated we could jump into change very quickly. We can adapt, even though it is a struggle. But on the leadership side of things, um, there was a lot of hesitation. And, you know, it's, is this going to go away? Can we just wait it out? Will the vaccine be here in a month? And and so that hesitation made it more difficult for the workplace and workers to adapt because they were left in this limbo land. But successful organizations did say, hey, we don't know. This could be around a while. Let's start to look at what the impact of this is on our strategy. And I want to give one more point around this, what folks missed out on, which I think was a big opportunity. Because so many people did adapt rapidly. They did things differently, uh, like learning to use uh, technology to communicate with people virtually, doing those video calls, um, teaching kids in their home, uh, picking up new hobbies or learning to cook I really think leaders should have written down all the examples of how people adapted uh, in some major ways to bring them back up when the next change would come around. In other words, tomorrow, if you told me, hey, Jeff, sorry, your job is shifting. We're going to need you to pick up a few more skills and do this over here. Um, But I want to remind you, this is not new to you. You've done some amazing things in the past and here they are. And tell those stories. So I think leaders had a miss in not gathering those stories of rapid adaptation in the workplace to be able to demonstrate to people, hey, you're good at change and you're going to be able to embrace the next change when it comes up.
1: Yeah, that's powerful stuff. Again, chatting with Jeff Skipper and really enjoying our conversation. We're coming to a conclusion over here. So, Jeff, real quick, I, I want to ask you to, uh, to highlight an example of success, either with a name or without, uh, as well as, uh, of course, get people in touch so they can read your book where you highlight many such examples and how they can get in touch with you.
5: Yeah, for sure. You know, and I'm, I'm working with the most difficult change at the moment, and that's, hey, Jeff, can you help us change our culture? But culture comes down to behavior, and it's, it's um, led by leaders, leading by example, and then our systems, rewards, recognition. And I'm working with this organization that's really stepping up there, revising their leadership training, equipping their leaders to really understand the psychology of people and how they can positively turn behavior in a certain direction so that they create a much better workplace. So again, I just want to emphasize for folks, change isn't that hard. Our brains are actually set up to do it. It's why we notice the shiny objects and the, the bouncy balls. Uh, but we have to be very planful, directed in what our leaders do to encourage people to embrace it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I definitely want to make sure our listeners get in touch with you so they could learn more. Really, really enjoyed this conversation. Where can they find the book and how can they get in contact with you?
5: everything at my website. And I want to mention there's a ton of free resources there as well. I often pe- have people drop in and just download stuff. Uh, so that's at jeffskipperconsulting.com. Check out the resources, the books there as well. And, and would love to have you as part of my community.
1: Fantastic. Well, that's a wrap for us here on Get Down to Business. We've learned a lot from all of our guests. Thank you, Jeff Skipper, for joining us here and wrapping us up uh, with such a strong message and takeaway. We'll link to all of our guests in the show notes, again, at sykline.com or on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share. Uh, but again, sykline.com. To success, let's get down to business. We'll see you next Sunday right here on 8560 The Answer.